are listening to episode 65 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name is John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators podcast. We like to talk about games we've recently picked up, games we're currently playing, and it's all coming back to me in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. That's right. We're traveling to the year 2140, and we have no idea what happened prior to that. So, uh, Ryan, let's start it off. As always, we've got our pickups for the week. I would assume you have none, but I have some. Is that right? Yeah, I don't have anything yet this week. I sent back a Fractured Butthole after beating it, and I have yet to receive a new game from Gamefly, but... I want to pause right there. You beat a game. I did. I beat... Uh, I guess that's my first game this year, and then we'll get we'll get to the, the currently playing. But, um... So we'll see what happens with this week. So I'll let you guys know what I've got on my queue for Gamefly. I've either got... Uh, Slay the Spire, which is availability very low. So you won't get that. Uh, a game that's coming soon, and then Shovel Knight Treasure Trove, which is medium. So we'll see if I get either of those, or if it jumps all the way down to Link's Awakening, which has high availability. Sounds like you're either going to get Link's Awakening or Treasure Trove. We'll see. I'll get shocked. I'll be shocked if you get Slay the Spire. Well, and that's the thing. Like Slay the Spire was medium or low when I added it. And now it's low. And now it's gone to very low. Oh, interesting. So we'll see what happens there. So, well, uh, yeah, no new pickups for me yet. So I had some pretty cool pickups this week. Um, the first one was I picked up, uh, what is it, um, Sparklight, I think. I got it right yeah. here. Hold on. Is that what it is, Sparklight? Yeah. Okay, cool. So I picked up Sparklight. It's a roguelite on the PS4. Uh, the game actually, the only reason I even looked at that game was somebody on one of the groups I follow on Facebook had posted like three or four photos of different Switch games that were like severely cut in price. Like we're talking from $40 to like 15 bucks at GameStop. So I was like, oh, okay, well, let me look these up and kind of get some ideas on what, you know, the gameplay's like. And I love the artwork on this game. And I love the, the overall like roguelite, you know, gameplay. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm like, I'll check this out went ahead and saw what other versions were there and it happened to be that it's also on the playstation 4 and it's like it was 10 bucks brand new for the game wow so, so i was like that's not a bad deal so i bought that one and i'll talk about some GameStop here in a little bit um because i'm not a fan of what they're currently doing and the other one i picked up i got two copies of godzilla on the ps4 so pretty rare game actually happened to be that and i'm picking them up today actually uh, so hopefully they're still there. But those two, or that game, is pretty rare. It's somewhere in like the $120, $130 range for like a nice copy. So I'll be picking that up today, and I'm pretty stoked. It's got some some really cool modes in it, uh, like the King of Monsters mode, where you battle other monsters. So we should definitely check that out for one of our upcoming uh, gameplays. Yeah. As far as GameStop Will it be is concerned, worth $130, though? Uh, probably That's not. what the people want to know. That's well, I mean, why they come here, John. Used at GameStop at sixty. So like, <laughs> you know, like, can we say it's worth one hundred thirty dollars? We'll probably say like, no, it's not worth one hundred thirty. But at the same time, how much can you argue of it? Because it's still sixty used, no matter what. If you were to get it at a GameStop, mm. so like that's the going rate on that one. It's not like I can go to GameStop grab for ten bucks any day of the week mm -hmm. and I'd be like, no, it's not worth it. So it'll be interesting to see how we play that and how we kind of inflated deflated um but as far as gamestop is concerned so i ended up getting uh pro rewards a while back uh, i think it was like right after christmas or just before christmas to pick up some good titles and uh i didn't realize i had heard rumors and i heard it was going to be kind of filtering through over time but they've gone ahead and like redone their pro rewards so every month you get a five dollar certificate that you can use on anything in their store versus the 10% that can be used on all used games. Oh, man. Jeez. Sorry. We had a long day yesterday, man, with all the yeah. stuff going on. Uh, so, yeah, basically, you get $60 a year is what... Or no, is it 60 Yeah, $60 a year in savings, right, that you can use towards stuff. Issues are you can't stack the $5 coupon that you get every month. You're, so you can't just get a free game a year. Basically, you can't get a free game a year. You can use the $5. And the way that the guy explained it to me is like, well... You know, if you think about it in this respect, um, you get the $5 uh, a month or whatever, and you're saving six, you know, you'd have to spend $600 a year to get them. Like, yeah, I mean, I understand that component, but like the Godzilla game, 
I could have saved six dollars right off the bat. Twelve dollars overall for both of those games, you know, right away in the month. It's not to say I'm going to spend six hundred dollars, but I would rather have the flexibility to say, I want to spend you know a hundred dollars at GameStop on used games this month, plus the buy two get one free and stuff that they do, and go ahead and save ten dollars right there. And then maybe next month I'm not doing it because they don't have a deal going on at that point. So there's no flexibility for me now. It's like you got five bucks, you got to use it at the end of the month, and that's it. Mm. Like that's all you get. And uh, it's cool because you can use it for like anything in store, new games, collectibles and all that. So there is that flexibility there that you can use it for other stuff. And they do have like their deals of a day. So there's like a ton of pop figure slash T-shirt combos for like 10 bucks the other day. But overall, I don't I don't like this method of what they're doing. And I hope because I think they did this years ago. I'm really hoping that this just kind of fails and they have to go back to that 10 percent. That's really what I'm hoping. I mean, yeah, I'm in a minority like a lot of gamers that, you know, there's a lot of gamers that they would like that $5 used towards new stuff. I'm always buying used. And there's other people that spend the same type of money I do at GameStop on an annual basis to get those discounts. And we're all in the minority, unfortunately. Well, and I get the, you know, you'd have to spend $600 a year to save that much money, which is true. But the ability to not be able to stack them is really just kind of a way that they want you to come in and get at least one thing a month. Yeah. And I'm sure you can't use that on just anything in the store. Does it only apply to, like, games and hardware? No, it's it's everything in the store, which is cool, right? You so can use it can on the can you just walk in and get, like, one of those keychains and just be like, oh, it's free this month? Yeah, I mean, you could, but, like, do I honestly want to do that? I, I want the flexibility to go in any time I want and be like, hey... That game was 15 bucks, but I'm going to get it for 1350. Like that flexibility is kind of nice to have that. And I don't have that anymore, which is what sucks. So, I could do get the digital magazine. The guy at the location I went to, I was like, "Hey man, um when I signed up, I thought I was getting hard copies of these magazines and it it looks like, you know, I'm on digital only." And he's like, "Oh, he's like, "Hold on, man, I'll hook you up." So, he gave me like uh December, January, and February magazines like, "Here, like yeah take them like, i'm sure they have extras yeah they always do so it wasn't a big deal for him he's like here man you know go ahead and take a few magazines like which is cool because like they're each five dollars a piece apparently if you try to get replacements or something oh really yeah it's the That's oddest weird. thing and if you want to get like hard copies you got to pay like an extra five bucks a year not a bad deal for magazine subscription right which is kind of what you're paying for i feel with this I've had the magazine subscription, and I don't think I've actually read all the way through one ever. Oh, and I, I don't do. think that I've even opened half of them. I just opened one yesterday and read through it. So I I love gaming magazines. Always have. Yeah. And I'll get into this in a future episode. I think we're doing a an episode on our greatest memories and gaming history in our lives. And uh, I got some stuff on magazines in there that you will appreciate. You already told me that story. What story? Don't worry about it. We'll tell the people later. Anyways, we'll later. back to this episode. Um, John, what are you playing? So I am still playing Shenmue, and I am still playing Neverwinter Nights too. Shenmue, I... Let's see. Where did I get? I ended up getting the mirror, Phoenix Mirror. So I've picked that up. Um, I think it's Master Shen is who I'm with. I think that's his name. Th that shows you how into this game I am. It is not the greatest game I've ever played. And I'm just, as I said last week... Just kind of pushing through it, trying to get it done, beat my inflation. How long gonna... did you play for this week? This week? God, maybe an hour. Okay, so you're really not putting very much no. into this. You're dragging it out as long as possible. Why, why don't you just sit down and, like, bang out a couple hours at a time? Well, I've been trying to do that, but then I get distracted with other stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things, like, if I was super into the game... I wouldn't be doing those other things on the side. I know, but you got to do it anyways. Don't, hey. I mean, it won't take you that long to get through it. So you won't be like me last year. But All right, Mr. December 27th yeah. Zone of the Enders. Yeah, yeah, no, it won't. I'm already like, what, 40% through the game. I'm going to beat it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll beat it. But just get it out of the way. Get it over with. Yeah, but I got Neverwinter Nights 2 on the side. So that's been some fun. Or not Neverwinter Nights 2, Neverwinter Nights on the Switch. So that's been a lot of fun. And uh, I've actually had a lot more fun with that game than I initially did starting it up mm -hmm. because of all the frame rate you issues. You finally got used to it? Yeah, I've gotten used to it. There's sometimes it like, you know, you get through a scene and it's really choppy. And you're like, good God, like what the hell's, you know, wrong with this port? And then there's other times you're like, all right, this is cool. Like it's fun. And we're enjoying the story. We play D&D &D on a regular basis. Um, 
as we'll mention in another future episode. And it's it's fun. Like I like it. It's the whole 3.5 atmosphere that you got going on, or 3.5 system, and the story's pretty good. So I think we'll we'll have a good time with this. I don't know how far we are. I think there's like seven chapters in the game, mm-hmm. and we're on like chapter two. So we okay. got a ways to go, but it's but fun. you're in there. Yeah, exactly. What level are you? Uh, level seven rogue right now. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's pretty good. Our dex is like super high. We just picked up this really badass like two-sided sword but it's one-handed versus like the two-handed the two-blade one and it's got fire so like we walk around this big like curved double sword and it has fire on both ends of the sword like at all times it's like really cool so we just picked that up we haven't had a chance to use it since we got it uh we have like a 23 ac on our character at level seven which Mm -hmm. is absurd yeah for rogue especially yeah so yeah we're having a blast of it so far that's cool yeah and you currently beat I beat Fractured, Fractured Butthole, and it was amazing. The ending was great. The uh, The story in that game is just so funny. Like I, I think I said this last week, or I told somebody this at least, but playing Stick of Truth and Fractured Butthole have been so good that it makes up for kind of the lack of excitement that I've had in the last couple seasons of South Park. Like, so much energy and... Uh, creativity went into making these games like really feel like just a really long South Park episode. And they're so good at telling a story. They're so good at injecting all the right humor at all the right times. And I just can't recommend it enough. The, uh, the combat system by the end of the game, you kind of uh, have access to basically everything that you haven't been doing so at the end of the game it kind of completely opens up and you can kind of do whatever you want but i know for me i got really i got really stuck into the one play style and the one set of abilities i was trying to do um like a knockback build so all my moves had uh would do knockback and then that knockback damage i had like a bunch of bonuses to that i figured out like how the crafting system worked and just made copies of all the best ones and just had yeah those stats um i love the the costuming portion and you know decorating your character but i again i fell in love with like one costume idea really early on so i just as much as i tried to go in and make a new costume out of all the different pieces because you get like hundreds of pieces of you know different hats different shirts and it's all that same stick of truth like low quality i don't know if anybody hasn't seen uh south park and the coon and friends and seen all of their different costumes but it's like uh token he's tupperware and he just has like different tupperware like on his body and he's supposed to be like a cyborg so it's like obviously stuff the kids made and that quality as you see like these kids running around in these ridiculous costumes it's hilarious yeah it's so good i think that it's probably easy to say it's the my best game of 2020 so far it's your only game of 2020 yes it is but as soon as i put that down i jumped right back into final fantasy 12 and i've been blowing through it and i've got like 10 pages of the walkthrough left and i'm pretty sure three of those pages are just boss stat blocks and I've put... What level are you? I'm like 41, 42. Really? That's it? I mean, I'm not sure what the, the scale usually is for finishing, you know, a big RPG. But I know you never have to get to like 100. Like, that's way, way overkill grind fest. But I played 40 hours with like the times two speed on like the whole time. So... I'm not exactly sure to get a grasp of like how strong I am because it's I'll run into certain enemies and it'll take me like, you know, a minute to get through some of them, especially if they're applying all kinds of status effects like they are late this late in the game. Um, So that takes a minute to go in and clean up because that's one thing that's really hard to set for the automated system to be able to handle. Yeah, because it's just you can only have one item per line in your gambit system so if somebody has sap 
it's mm-hmm. way easier to just go in and manually cast Asuna than it is to set up a gambit just for casting Asuna on somebody with sap. Yeah. But it might be worth it to do it for like blind because mm-hmm. in the middle of combat, you just want that blind to go away so you could start hitting again. Yeah, that makes but sense. I blow through the boss fights. I've never lost a boss fight in the game. Like I just and that's kind of where the disappointment comes in because it's like I have Fran as a black mage archer. And I just like never have her use magic because it's always just easier to to just have her keep shooting her bow than to go in and manually tell her to use attacks. And I could go in and unlock more stuff on the license board to try to get more gambit set up so that people are doing more elaborate stuff. But everything just works like I just go into a boss fight um, and I obliterate it and it's really not that hard. Like I haven't had any trouble. I keep the walkthrough handy with me, but I don't abide by it totally. I know there's a bunch of stuff I'm still not going to do in this game. Like obviously I skipped a ton of side quests. I'm not going to try to get any of the legendary weapons, but then there's certain things like I feel like I should have been to a more like ultimate location. Like the final location that I'm at, which I'm not positive, but seems like the place where the game's going to end. Cause it's like, I'm trying to find the MacGuffin and beat the bad guy to the MacGuffin. And I'm going up in this giant tower. That's in the middle of the ocean on its own Island. Like it all seems like the drama's building pretty well. And, uh, but I just came from some, you know, small backtrack to a town and they didn't even have like any more stuff for me. Like there's still magic that I haven't unlocked. There's still like for, uh, one of my characters, I can't remember what the class they are, but they have like hand bombs as one of the licenses that you can unlock so that you could use that. I've never seen hand bombs. I've never had one drop. I've never seen one for sale. Don't know where to find them. So there's how a guy, to get them or what they are. There's a guy in one of the rivers and he he's on a boat and he sells you like heart containers and, and bombs. You can buy from him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Beetle. Yeah. Beetle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll just find Beetle's shop. Yeah, exactly. That That's what you're missing. That's where, where you'll get the hand bombs. Yeah. So I'm, I'm almost at the end of this game, but it just feels like there's a lot of stuff in there that obviously I didn't try to go for. But it just seems like I should have gotten a haste spell at some point during the game. But I've I've bought every bit of magic that I can find. So unless it's hidden somewhere, like I know that there's like a whole area that I tried to go to early on, but it was like way too high a level area. I could go explore there. Maybe there's some stuff there, but I'm already so close to the end of this game that I think I'm just going to, like I said before, just blow through it, finish it, get it done. And then I can get started on the inflation deflation challenge and get a new side game going. New games resolution challenge. New games resolution. That's what I meant. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I've noticed it as I've gotten older for some of these games. I'm not necessarily wanting to do the whole completionist thing. Sukunen 2 was... I've never done that. Yeah, Sukunen 2 was an anomaly for me. Like, I would normally not sit there and try to get 100% in a game. That one I had to. I just had to do it. Um, But I don't know. Like, Final Fantasy games... I did it for Final Fantasy 10 years ago, and it's just so many hours, man. Like, I don't think I could do that for a Final Fantasy 12 or even 14. Like, I tried to do some of it for 14, like, as many trophies and such as I could... And I just got to a point where I'm like, I don't want to keep playing. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm just kind of done. I beat the story. I enjoyed the game. I don't want to just drag this on so much. And I'm like, all right, this sucks. Sekido, example of a game I probably would want to complete. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to jump back into Sekido right now. I got other stuff to play. Yeah. And it, it's kind of that same mentality, right? Like, we're getting to a point where let's play as many games as we can and beat them versus let's just, you know, get really good at one game and play it for like six months. Mm-hmm. So... All right, transition time into our news for the week. So the uh, the first thing that's been floating around here this week is Nintendo's claiming that they have no new Switch models planned for 2020. I'm calling BS. 
they said they didn't have models planned like the year before and we got the switch light and then we also got like the minor adjustments to the battery and such on the original switch i think we can probably assume there won't be a switch pro because we would have heard something by now right to hype it up but i really do think that we're going to get some sort of enhancement to either the old switch whether that's memory increase they already or... just did that last year no i mean like a hard drive space additional hard drive space well that would be a new model no they said they're not going to do a new model same model we'll just throw in more hard drive space or we're going to throw in an extra SD card or something. Is it something to try and get consumers to buy it? I mean, you go bundle it with an SD card, but they don't make like Nintendo branded SD cards. Like the battery. Would you have considered that to really be a new model necessarily? I mean, it, it technically is, but it's not like a major release, like a switch pro. What I'm saying is like minor adjustments to the existing models that they can quickly produce, right? You've got all the parts. Okay. We're going to pop in like a new hard drive. Because it's bigger. I don't think That's, they would do that. I don't know, man. They might. But they've not, they don't have like a history of doing that. I mean, I guess they changed the battery on this already. And they did release the Switch Lite when yeah, they were like. Yeah, but the Switch Lite is not the same. You're trying to, you're trying to do apples and oranges and have it both ways. I'm not Switch, letting you get away with it. The Switch Lite is basically. The Switch Lite is a whole different thing, but upgrading the inside of the original is also a different thing. You can't say that they're doing one and the other and that neither of them is what it the is the point is ryan they said they weren't going to do something new and they still did something new last time you so. don't have an article that you can quote saying that last year they said they wouldn't do anything new we and can, they wouldn't have said that because they came out with I a will, new console i will reference our old podcast episode they came was, out with a new console if they came out with the switch Lite last year they would not have made an official statement saying we're not going to make a new switch this year they, they didn't have, happen they did have a they did have a, an article. Actually, I think this article right here, they have a quote from Nintendo from a financial report saying that they are not releasing That's a new from model this year. Yeah, in 2020. We can look back and I will look for it. I will find you it for you. You find a report from me last year saying that they said last year when they made the Switch Lite that they were not going to make a new thing. I will. Well, the report would technically have been 2018. Anyways, I think that John is dumb. I think but more important than that, I think that this is a smart choice because I don't see any reason that Nintendo should try to compete directly with the Series X and PS5 launch. They know that if they were to produce a more expensive version of the Switch, people really only have room in their lives to buy one major console, you know, a year realistically. So if a new, more powerful console is coming up, I could see a lot of people looking straight past a Switch Pro in favor of a Series X or PS5 because they've been waiting on those forever and those are going to have a lot more kind of bang for their buck in the upgrade. And then also, if Nintendo doesn't try to drive the price up... Go ahead, John. You look oh, no, 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 no. You're good. Keep talking. Keep talking. Oh. I'm still looking. Okay. So uh, even if... They do still want to get, you know, switches and switch lights out there and move product, which, of course, they do. Those are cheaper. People have a much higher chance of buying a PS5 and a switch light than buying a PS5 and a switch pro. So I think it's smart for them to kind of sit back and lie on, you know, the success of trying to drive what they already have in the market to make the money for them instead of trying to compete with the Xbox and the PlayStation. Well, I'm not going to take too much time looking for this article. I will find it because okay. I do recall us talking about hey, it Hey, where last can year. you uh, tell people that you never found that article, John? Oh, well, I can tell them to refer back to our episodes of the Game Deflators podcast on all of your awesome podcast applications on Apple, uh, Google Android. Play, Spotify, Podcast Addict everywhere you can find it and find us on social media for lots of memes news and of course podcast spamming uh that is on facebook instagram and twitter at the game deflators on facebook and instagram and at game deflators on, on twitter. twitter they don't like the no the and of course uh five star reviews all the time anytime you see our podcast give it a five star review if you don't intend on giving it a five star review still give it a five star review and if you really don't even want to give a five star review then just don't leave any review hey you know what if you don't want to leave a five star review Leave a comment somewhere saying why you don't want to receive a five-star review, and we'll do our best to correct that. Or just leave a five-star review. So, uh, next piece of news this week, Ryan. Uh, this actually ties directly into... Nope, nope. I'll, I'll skip. This ties into Nintendo as well. We're going okay. to this article. 
So there are now rumors floating around. We talked about a while back that Xbox was planning on doing like a cloud-based Last service. Last year there was rumor about Yeah, this. that they were going to work with Nintendo to stream their games. We've already seen a little bit of that here and there. Uh, but now Sony's kind of getting in the fray, it sounds like. There was a recent Reddit post that went up, or a survey, asking Sony users if they would want to play their games on the uh, remotely through the switch now sony already has switch play you can or not switch play they already have remote play you can do it on your vita you can do it on a laptop an ipad there's ways to do it you just have to have a dual shock on you mm-hmm. and you can do it at any on pretty much any system out there i think you can do it on your phone as a matter of fact yeah i mean i've i've tried that stuff before like i used to have a sony xperia because i thought i would use that feature and it would be awesome but i never used it I have a Vita, and I've tried using Remote Play on that in the past, but never really used it. And I, I have an iPad now, and I've never tried doing the Remote Play on the iPad, but I'm going to give it a shot because I think that that would be awesome. But I just, I've never really had, like, the confident reliability to be able to have that stream work in a seamless way. And they also asked in the survey if they would like an offline remote play availability, which the article doesn't really talk about how that is possible or what that would entail. But I mean, to essentially be able to like take the game with you without the console and not even have to be connected for the play. Like, I don't get how that works, but I mean, uh, yeah, give it to me. Yeah. I mean, that'd be pretty cool. Oh, by the way, this, uh, this particular article is uh, Damian McFerrin of Nintendo life is uh, the guy that made this uh, article. He made I, this up. He made he, it all. He made it all. <laughs> up. All of it's been made up. No, it's it's everywhere. Like, you can seriously find on every single Facebook group you're on, plus tons of articles online talking about this right now. I would really welcome something like this, especially if it was on the Switch. While I don't use my Switch for a lot of remote play, I do still kind of take it with me every now and then somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm going to a party, for example, that I know I'm going to be bored at or I know somebody else is going to be playing games... I'll usually bring my Joy-Cons and do that, yeah. right? So to be able to put my PS4 games or PS3 games or whatever I might even have on my PlayStation library and being able to play that remotely through the Switch, that'd be pretty cool. Because, you know, Sony doesn't have that right now. They have the Vita, and that's not exactly... The Vita's aged out exactly, quite a bit. Exactly, exactly. So, and with their, you know, commitment to not trying to compete in that portable market anymore and not developing a new portable sony console you know the switch is really the best platform i know that people uh have the what is it the nvidia shield and there's a few other like you know computer side hardware using android as a platform for a portable console usually it's kind of like a screen that clasps onto a controller yeah i've seen those before or they have these uh devices that lock around your phone and basically kind of make your phone switch like yeah you know so there's a lot of uh different approaches out there but nobody does it like nintendo you know nintendo what uh sony don't yeah I mean, that, that's the old Sega one right there. And, yeah. Um, I don't know, man. Like, Sony's a fantastic company. They've produced a lot of games. It's interesting that they'd be going down this route. And it makes you wonder, like, how this would really work. Do I have to purchase the games through Sony and then, like, I have the ability to play them? Like, what's the It seems like it's there? just, like, a, a portable screen feature. Like, you're really not engaging. Like, uh, they would have to have some type of app on the switch that obviously launches the service but once you're signed in you're really not using any of your nintendo stuff you're dealing directly with your console yeah so i guess you would technically have to purchase a sony console right to be able to even do this to be i would hope to be able to do this to begin with because you need it's streaming the the hardware as well i believe yeah i think it would have to so yeah. we'll learn more about it as things kind of unveil themselves the world the of year. streaming could be more complex than we really think i mean moving forward it's not just going to be all stadia uh you know microsoft has game pass which is available on plenty of things uh the sony is already has this on other things you know switch is so open to uh 
ports and the indie world. Like if Nintendo could find a way to make money off of being able to host and be able to get their hardware into the hands of other companies, like it could be just what they do instead of other companies trying to create their own portable let Sony just rule the portable world. Let them distribute switches to everybody who wants to play games on the go and then access whatever. Because even if somebody is like a diehard Xbox fan, if they buy a switch just to play their Xbox on portably, there's no way they're not going to pick up a Mario here or uh, something there. You know, there's all kinds of stuff that they would be incidentally more likely to buy just through the access alone. So if there's a way to make money, it doesn't surprise me anymore what companies are willing to do. So this could be more than a rumor. It could actually happen. Who knows? Yeah, and the interesting thing is that this really does help all the companies involved anyways. Because at the end of the day, if I have to purchase a Sony game, I'm still giving Sony money. And then I would think you have to purchase a console in advance too. So I've purchased a console. I'm getting the games. Oh, and by the way, now i got to buy a Switch if I want that portability function going on. So really, all the companies benefit at this point. Mm -hmm. And it really does expand horizons for gamers who may have only wanted to play Sony games or only wanted to play Nintendo. It's like, oh, cool. I should buy that PlayStation 4 now or PlayStation 5 in the future because I can play Last of Us on my Switch. Like, See, and maybe waiting for uh, Series X and PS5 to launch, maybe once those are out and Nintendo says, hey, we'll let these other platforms stream onto our game but if you want to make sure you're doing really well here's a pro switch that's going to handle that performance better yeah i can see that happening by the way speaking of series x did you see the uh i think it was concept art for like the different series x consoles based on games they had like a gears of war edition a halo edition no okay so anybody listening i put uh, an article on our facebook page if you haven't seen this yet it's actually pretty badass it's uh pretty much themed consoles with microsoft's new series x yeah and it makes it look less like a desktop and more like a gaming system there you go it's interesting uh so our next piece that we can jump into is and really these two next articles really tie into each other man so uh eddie McCuck, it looks like, from GameSpot. Uh, his article that he released, and this is a general article out there too, EA made almost $1 billion from microtransactions last quarter. Uh, looking at the article, I think they made sometime, it was last year, just in, in last year alone, they made $2.3 billion in microtransactions. So this quarter, they've already brought in a billion. It's crazy, dude. And we Yeah, when you look at the numbers on the chart, and we'll share that link all over the place. When you look at the numbers on here, it absolutely dwarfs all of their other revenue sources. So, um, what is this? Uh, Q3 for 19? Yeah, 2019 quarter three. 2019 quarter three. So it's got uh, 784 million uh, in live services. So that's what uh, EA calls it. They call their yeah. microtransactions live services. So that's what they go to market with. And then 273 million in full game downloads. So people are spending up to three times as much on microtransactions than they are actually buying EA's actual games. Now That's I, crazy. Yeah, exactly. It's absolutely nuts. And I know we slam microtransactions so much, but they're obviously making money and people are obviously buying it. So they're feeding into that system and they're really just kind of, um, you know, enforcing EA's want to put this in the market. And it really sucks, man. Like, I really wish people would kind of just look at this and say, maybe I shouldn't be spending the extra three, four dollars on something that I really should have already received. And it, it's really, it. I'm trying to compare it to something like outside of gaming. I guess you can look at it from the JC Penny thing that happened a few years back, where like they got rid of all their sales mm. and they gave you know the hard price. And it was like, all right, so this pair of shoes that were selling for forty dollars, they were selling it for like seventy, and they were telling you, hey, get thirty dollars off this pair of shoes. 
the the price was forty, right? Like there was no real sale. It was yeah. just here's the price. So they got they slashed all that, right? And then, and then they lost all their money. Yeah, they lost tons of money because consumers were like, oh, there's no deal. Like this isn't great. So it makes me you wonder. You want seventy dollars worth of value for forty dollars. You don't want forty dollars worth of value for forty dollars. Exactly. That perceived increased value, that savings, that's what you're buying. You're not buying the thing. Exactly. You're buying so the savings. You look at it with like the game of slot machines on NBA twenty, like that whole yeah. whole thing that they had right well there's this perceived value of well i can get you know a hundred dollars worth of my coins here for like you know 75 dollars mm-hmm. so now you got like that perceived value right not realizing it's a flipping digital currency yeah that literally is just being it's like printing money for ea they're like we're just gonna put a charge on these things yeah so you can buy items that we really should just release to begin with or um you know things that you could have unlocked or like little cosmetic crap what? like what I don't understand is like, do they only paywall like the the first stringers? So it's like if you're playing like a sock a FIFA game and like the guy who's the most famous guy on the team, you have to unlock him. So if you don't unlock him, who plays in that spot? Like just some second stringer, like are other athletes getting more prominence because it's harder to find the actual athletes that people know? Like, do people know secondaries or replacements better now because of this system? I don't engage with those games or these mechanics, so I don't know how it works, but I can't imagine playing a sports game and it doesn't come with the guys that are the most famous from the sport. And I think, so I don't have too much viewpoint in this. Wayne Gretzky hockey. One in 20 chance to win Wayne Gretzky. That'd be crazy, man. Uh, I think with those games, it's generally like getting certain stats or like, say, LeBron James, maybe. So you, you can unlock get, like, a gold LeBron James. Yeah, maybe. Or you get you could be the <laughs> default LeBron James or you can unlock the gold LeBron. Yeah. And I would think, hold on, you can keep talking. I get some water here. Uh, or uh, yeah. So I, I, I don't know what's. What's going on with all that? But this is exactly what the problem with microtransactions is, is that it's going to be so hard for these people in charge of the companies, like, you know, the big businessmen that are at the tippy top that are raking in all this dough. I mean, all of the people on the low end who actually make the game and have to implement these systems, as soon as these systems go away... I mean, all the development on that side will go away and hopefully they'll be able to refocus that effort back into the game and use that time and use that money towards making the game better. But the problem is that when you're making, you know, most of your money is coming from this thing that is dangerous and predatory and viewed you know, now in the eyes of, uh, we had that article a few weeks ago and we talked about the, um, gaming addiction and there was, uh, an organization that, you know, was outright saying that, you know, this is just gambling. So once the law turns on this, which we've seen it start to, and they go to try to take all this money from them, they're going to lose their ass. They're going to lose so much revenue and profit from having relied on it so heavily that I'm afraid that it's just going to wind up causing studio closures. Like, I can't imagine that these studio heads are going to want to keep investing the same amount of money that they are now into making games when they're already going to be, I mean, essentially losing two-thirds of their their all their profit total. I mean, you're going from 273 million in game sales. You'll still make that, but you're going to lose 800 million almost a a quarter. Yeah, and in revenue, EA is a public company. So what's interesting is that if this all kind of comes to fruition over time, and they do have to get rid of microtransactions and laws are put in place. EA stock is just going to crush them. Yeah, it's going to crush them. So it's really and interesting. That'll mean studio closures. So it's really interesting to see how this is going to work out in the long run. EA is kind of in that space right now where they're leading like this whole thing of microtransactions. And I'm sure they're lobbying it in our government. Yeah. Probably putting tons of money into that to try and get things to pass. But really, like this is kind of on their shoulders. So if EA fails in this and we do see the stop of microtransactions over time, 
how does this affect all the little companies that are benefiting off that too, right? So we'll see how this works out in the next you know year or so. I really do anticipate seeing some sort of I movement see more on law this. coming at this because I think that no matter how they try to swing this and go into Congress and talk about surprise mechanics instead of hey, it's live microtransactions. I think that there's just it's an indefensible practice, and too many people are making too much money that it's going to take government intervention and it's going to be very bad for some people exactly speaking of uh things that need some intervention uh, oh yeah yeah so uh paul tassi of forbes we've had articles from him before uh so warcraft 3 reforged metacritic review bombing campaign has escalated so, so this is a yeah. continuation of a previous article that he had written and this is a couple days in the aftermath for people who don't know warcraft 3 reforged came out and currently, it is the lowest rated game on Metacritic. It has a 0.5 on Metacritic. And in his last article, he said that there was a game that had lower ratings. There's one other game on Metacritic that had lower ratings. And after his article came out and kind of went, you know, viral on Reddit. Oh, please tell me what I think you're going to say. went on and boosted the rating of that other yes. game to make Warcraft 3 Reforged the lowest. That I is mean, this amazing. Is, this is like 16,000 plus reviews at this point, destroying this game and flaming it. And So give a little feedback for the people that are, uh, or not a little feedback, a little bit of um, information, some background on okay, what we're so, talking about here. So Warcraft 3 Reforged was supposed to be you know, a remaster version with updated graphics and UI and, you know, uh, I think they were going back to redo, you know, some voice work and add new cutscenes and stuff or remodeled cutscenes. And they just didn't follow through on any of the stuff. Like um, Jim Sterling has a great video on this, a couple now, and uh, he shows a one after the other, the original trailer for a cutscene and the actual cutscene back to back and they already did the animation they already made the better scene and they didn't even put that one in and i'm betting it's because they made that one and then decided that instead of doing that for all the rest of them it would be easier just to lie about that one and cheap out on all of them so it people are saying that it's absolutely destroyed Warcraft 3 and people are turning to piracy to go online and get clean old versions of Warcraft 3 because this is just a mess. So I looked at a little bit of that article to kind of understand uh, there was another piece to this, right? So the other piece was some of the back end agreements that they put in place for Warcraft 3, right? that they had discussed in this yeah the user agreement yeah so the user agreement has on there that anything that's created modifications any sort of edits custom game modes everything that goes in there belongs to blizzard no matter what doesn't matter like ryan could come up with this amazing concept at the end of the day it's still blizzard that owns it right i'm kind of for and against that agreement right so um we had discussed a little bit earlier but i didn't give you my full thoughts on it it really at the end of the day it is blizzard's game and they are going to do what they want to do. When you look at all the crap that they're doing with Warcraft 3 and Remaster, yeah, that blows. And I'm completely with them on everybody review bombing it because you promise something and, you know, you're not delivering. But when it comes to that user agreement that I want to get into with them, uh, I really do have to side with Blizzard in this case. You know, like you talked about how Dota was kind of like an offshoot and now Valve has that, right? Well... Blizzard really should own those rights. Like, that was their mechanics of their system. You as a user... No, the mechanics weren't there. Not the mechanics, but the overall the overall build, right? How it initially started, everything came from a Blizzard product, well, correct? basically what they did was they just used, uh, you know, Warcraft's assets and made up their own game types, changed, you know, like, the way the characters functioned and the abilities they had, and they, you know, slowly over time it built up. I mean... It's not like Dota 2 modern as it is now was cut whole cloth yeah. from it. But you can definitely like looking back at this trailer, being more of a Dota fan than a Warcraft fan. 
I'm seeing all these character models and, you know, enemy models and stuff in this footage. And I'm like, well, I know that that's a life stealer. And, you know, that looks like Kanko over there. And that's an Omni Knight. You know, I'm seeing all these characters and I'm, I know what they are now in Dota more than I know what they are in Warcraft. So that's kind of... That's kind of an issue, yeah. though, right? So, like, if you look at that, it's, it's kind of like that meme of, like, hey, can I copy your homework? Yeah, uh, copy it, but just a little bit to make it, like, change yeah. it just a little bit to make it different, right? I mean, Dota is its own thing at this point, but I do have to side with Blizzard in that user agreement of if you're going to take their existing asset and you're going to finagle it and tinker with it and everything to kind of make something new realistically use their product as a base they should be compensated with that. well they should be they it should, should be, be theirs well they should be compensated if you want to take it and do something with it but if i spend all my time and effort modifying your system for my own enjoyment i don't see how you can legally come after me and take that you're taking my intellectual property, even though I used your intellectual property as a base to lay that on top of like your ability to compel me to give you everything that I've done for free. Yeah. And I would say not everything. Right. So I think it is their product. They should have ownership of that. Yeah. But you shouldn't be allowed to make money off of it, but yeah. they shouldn't be allowed to make money off of you in return. Yeah. There should be some sort of compensation on both ends. Right. So it's like, okay, we're going to kind of like uh, we talked about an EA article a while back, right? Like they bring in all these indie developers and they get a certain cut and then they, you know, for the cut and then the developer yeah. obviously is able to produce her game. It should be a similar concept to that, right? Like, okay, you're creating like this great piece of work, right? That we could put out there for consumers. You've gone ahead and created it. So what we're going to do is because you used our property, we're going to take the rights to this. We own it, but we're going to give you a percentage of this because you did work on it. Yeah. I mean, like they really don't have to worry about it, though. No, I mean, because obviously nobody's going to make anything. And I know that they're all butthurt that they missed out on MOBAs. They made their own MOBA. And guess what? They killed it. And they killed their own professional scene without telling anybody ahead of time. They were just like, oh, I guess you were all esports athletes and now you're all jobless. Yeah. Blizzard so, had like a shitstorm of year in 2019 yeah, and they, they've been fucking up not, hard. They're not like looking too good to start 2020 at this point. So, uh, yeah, I mean, deserve, I like Blizzard games, but they come deserve on. the lashback that they've been getting from all the disappointment that they've been, you know, cashing in on all their goodwill like it's so sad to see these companies that we all used to love and admire just like go for the throat and go for the money and just be disappointing time over time and they don't want to listen they don't want to know you know whatever it is that's they're deciding to do they're doing all this to themselves and you know the two companies that we really focus on that do these things blizzard and bethesda well, Blizzard, Bethesda, and then EA, right? I don't think Bethesda is a public company, but both EA and Blizzard are public well, EA companies. EA owns Blizzard. Yeah, but they have their own separate entities, I believe. Like they Activi have. Oh, wait, no, it's, it's Activision, Activision Blizzard. Blizzard. Yeah, yeah, not EA. Yeah, so both of those companies, I believe Activision's public, if I'm correct. Yeah, they are. So both of these are public companies, right? They're the ones that are causing all of this hell. They're the ones that are. You know, all the backlash we have with the gamers back with the whole China thing and Hong Kong. Yeah, but you China know, that's all Blizzard. And, and there's a whole political thing tied to that. You've got EA with all of their politics with the microtransactions. You have Bethesda just being a crappy company in general, releasing garbage. But then you have all these little smaller companies that are producing like great products and they're doing what they need to do and it's super positive. It kind of makes you wonder if like these main developers or these main publishing companies shouldn't be public like it'd be nice if they're all private right kind of working for us as gamers versus working for shareholders yeah so okay uh let's go ahead and jump into our amazing inflation deflation i don't think it's super amazing because i'm not a big fan of this title but i still thought it was pretty cool so let you introduce it, man. This week, we've got Flashback, The Quest for Identity, developed by Delphine Software International, published by U.S. Gold, designed by Paul Quisset, possibly? Possibly. Uh, I think released that's in 1992. Uh, it's a cinematic platformer, and it's... Uh, I don't know why I paused like that. That was weird. But uh, it's got pretty positive reviews. It's got, like, about a, you know, 75 to 90, somewhere in that range, and... 
it's much like if anybody's ever played Prince of Persia or um, what's another good cinematic platformer? That's the only good cinematic platformer I know. Oh, um, regardless, cinematic yeah. platformer. Uh, this game is on like a ton of consoles. I mean, it's like the Amiga has it, the 3DO, Sega CD, PlayStation 4 had a release, a physical copy. It, like, seriously, if there was a game that was selling itself, it would be this. Like, yeah, and it just had a remake not too long ago. Well, a remaster, I think. Remaster. Yeah. And then Limited Runs, was, Limited Run Games had like a special edition. Like I said, it's on the Switch, it's on the PS4, it's probably you can on play the it Xbox. Anywhere. This is a very accessible title to get your hands on. This week, however, we are playing the Super Nintendo version. Exactly. So the Super Nintendo version happens to be the cheapest version of this game. Uh, the most expensive versions are the Sega CD and the 3DO. The reason I said both of those is the complete in boxes were like a little bit higher than the, each other, but the loose copies were like pretty comparable in terms mm -hmm. of price point. So those are the two most expensive versions, rightfully so. Sega CD is a little tough to find games sometimes, and 3DO is just most crap on that is expensive anyways. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of cheap games on that console. So interestingly enough, though, the Sega Genesis version was, you know, probably $3 higher than the Super Nintendo version, hmm. which is really interesting. I wouldn't have, you know, thought that. Maybe it's one of those games that's better on that console. Yeah, which is kind of rare because oftentimes you run into it where it's like it's always better on the Super Nintendo. Well, people love to have that argument with like Aladdin. Yeah, and Lion King. That's another one. So uh, let's go ahead and just discuss our experience, man. Like. I mean, I'll start it off. I thought it was pretty cool. The concept is interesting. That it's artwork gorgeous and, for its time. Yeah, that artwork is phenomenal. The music is great. Um, the controls are a little slow for me, though. I'm not a fan of that style. Well, the controls and the art are tied so closely together in a game like this because the cinematic platformer is one in which your your control is kind of limited to. If you've never played it, imagine that you're playing on a like a grid. So every time you move forward, you're going to move forward one square and there will be kind of a, a delay while the animation of the movement plays out because it's so much more fluid and it has extra frames. You have this delay in response. So you really have to approach this game with, uh, you know, a little bit of holdback. You're not going to have that Mario touch and go response, but you need to be, you know, quick with your actions because it is going to take that much more time. Like instead of jumping and shooting like in another game, well, you have to run, jump the frame before you're like right on the edge, land, pull your gun out manually, turn, crouch and shoot. There's a lot more actions that you have to do and they're going to be spread out over a longer time. But those moments that you have to actually hit the timing correctly are a little bit wonky. So it's it's definitely a tough kind of genre to get into. And I know a lot of people don't cross that barrier well. I've, I've never been able to cross that barrier well. It's one of the things that's always kept me from playing Oddworld, which I've always wanted to play. Yeah, I mean, well, we played, uh, was it Skull Monkeys kind of has that same type yeah. of platforming uh, experience, right? Mm -hmm. But that seemed a little bit easier to get into. This just was a little tough with the controls. I did get used to it over time, and I did enjoy it, actually. Um, despite the fact that every time we died, we went back to that damn hollow cube at the very beginning. So it was one issue I had, right? Like, there wasn't any... It, it didn't kind of like... If you had to continue, you had to go right back to the very beginning and literally do every single thing over again. And I need to learn a little bit more about the game, but I'm going to guess that this is more of a straight playthrough type of thing. I mean, no, there's got to be there's got to be other points, stuff, but checkpoints. I, I mean, the amount of time we played and how far we got. We didn't really areas, get that far. We probably we probably did like 12, 15 screens. We got far enough that you would have figured there'd be a save state of some sort or a password. Yeah, I I guess so. So I think unless we just missed it, unless yeah. there was a save state and we didn't well, realize it. I think this game breaks into levels though, right? So there's like seven levels that you go into and it progresses okay, through. Okay, so maybe once you get yeah, through a level, that's you get a level thinking, code or something. Which kind of shows how much we gamed, right? So we were pretty far at the end of that level and I think most of our time was kind of getting used to those controls, right? Mm -hmm. Like understanding what we were doing. 
And but at the end of the day, I feel that we can definitely grade this game based on the experience we had. Yeah. Uh, with that alone, I mean, it, we probably put in about as much time as you would a general demo mm-hmm. to give yourself an informed decision on do I like this game enough yeah. that I'd be willing to buy it. Yeah. And I mean, I look at you know what we've got here on the price points. You got a complete in box on NES or SNES at thirty four eighty two peaking at 5277 in May of 2018 and now we're sitting at 997 loose with a peak of 1408 in March of 2018 uh that price point is kind of heading steady right like it's been it dipped a while back probably early or late 20 2018 early 2019 kind of dipped um but i think at you know looking at 10 bucks for this game and the experience we had and the fact that i probably would want to play this through now that i'm a little more used to controls I think it'd be worth that. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at this game in the sense that a complete inbox for 3482 versus a loose for 997, you're mostly paying for the box and manual in this situation. So that savings difference alone is enough for me to say that, you know, the game should be worth picking up at that loose price. I mean, unless you're really into having the manual and having the box and you can find those in a good quality which if they're you know inflating the price of the loose game so much then you know maybe they're pretty quality as well i mean i'm looking at the the front of the box picture it's an okay box art you know i don't know what all is in the manual but i would assume with a game like this this kind of cinematic adventure that has kind of a lot more going on for a game at that time, you know, in terms of uh, narrative and story. And it's, uh, if we didn't really mention it too much, as far as we could tell, you're, you're in the year 2140. Uh, your character has memory loss. It opens up with a cutscene of him escaping some facility on a jet bike and being chased down by a flying ship, car, vehicle, something. He gets shot down in the forest or the jungle, and that's kind of where your adventure begins with you pulling out a hollow cube that says, hey, I bet you're wondering how you recorded this and you don't remember it because it's you talking to yourself. Be careful with my life out there and go find this guy. Yeah, Ian in New Washington, D.C. And uh, yeah, I think it's a planet Titan is where you land first mm-hmm. is what they called it. Uh, so I was looking it up right now, and... On the PlayStation 4, you could pick up a standard edition of this game off Amazon right now for $15, right? So remastered version, $15. If you don't have a Super Nintendo and you have no ability to emulate this in any fashion, um, PS4. I mean, if you got a PlayStation 4 or a Switch or an Xbox, whatever it may be, pick this game up. I mean, it's not bad at that price point. I think that, you know, while $15 may not be too much, I don't think that... I would really play, if I was going to play this game, I think I would want to play, you know, an original version of it as opposed to a remastered version because I feel like controlling and playing this the way that it was made is going to feel better than trying to deal with these controls on a PlayStation 4 where I'm used to having so much more control and so much more responsiveness. I just think the mindset of playing on an older system with something that feels kind of like an older game as far as, you know, the controls and the graphics, because I'm sure they didn't throw like a, you know, it's not like it's going to be the best looking game ever on PS4. I think that uh, I'd rather deal with the original experience and save the $5. So I'm going to say that this game is totally, totally deflated at $10. That's a great price for this game, loose. 3482 might be a stretch on the complete price, but if you're a collector, if it's a really good game and you're going for inbox, I mean, you could probably do worse. Yeah. And as far as the 15, I mean, I guess if you're just looking for the easiest access, that might be you know, your case in this situation. There's, you could get this game on almost any console, but I'm going to say that the cheapest version, the Super Nintendo, is what I would get. Sounds good, man. Yeah, I'm right there with you on that price point. Things a little deflated. Um, you know, it's definitely not inflated for sure. So, yeah, I think this is a pretty good solid pick. Um, so, 
I think that'll conclude our uh, review of Flashback, The Quest for Identity. Um, again, listen to us on uh, all of your great podcast applications, Spotify, Spotify, not Spotify, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts now, I think is what they call it. Find us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And uh, we also got some Reddit stuff going on out there, so hopefully we can pick that up. And it's been a lot of fun so far, man. That's, what, 65 episodes? So, yeah, and we just wanted to let you guys know we're actually going to be having a few new episodes coming out over the next couple weeks. We're going to be trying out some different stuff. So uh, let us know what you think about those as they come out. Let us know if, uh, you know, we've been doing strong on the format for a while now, but we're going to mix it up. We're going to talk about a couple other things and... uh, you One know. more banter, for sure. Uh, those episodes are, uh, let's see, we're doing a D&D episode coming up here, I think in a couple weeks. And I think our next episode is our gaming history. We're going to talk no, about No, next episode of... is the uh, Diddy Kong. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. We are going to play some Diddy Kong. So we're actually going to be... Uh... We're doing a comparison yeah. of kart racers. Yeah, which is pretty sweet. The comparison of kart racers is going to be awesome. And... I cannot wait for that D&D episode when we do that. That's going to be flipping sweet, too. I'm so excited to talk about our campaigns and what we're doing. And, of course, the gaming history, how we got into it, and really our experiences throughout life in gaming. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally stoked, man. This is different from what we've done, and it's going to be awesome. All right. So, all right. Well, that was episode 65 of the Game Deflators podcast. I'm John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.